Holy cow, it's Monday's podcast. We have a great show for you. Uh, we we uh, start with the violence that is coming on the streets and what to do about it. Uh, then some shocking, shocking news, especially if you're on the left. Uh, I just don't know what to do because uh, we exposed today and have all of the documents posted at glenbeck.com that Joseph Robinette Biden... Uh, Robinette was his father's family, and we wondered why. Why will he release the history of his mom's side of the family, but not his dad? Turns out, yep, the Robinettes were slave owners, uh, and pretty gruesome uh, slave owners as well. We have all the documents. You can find them at glenbeck.com. And boy, it'd be a shame if you made that trend. Hashtag Biden's a slave owner. You know. Um, but you're only going to hear it here, um, and you're going to hear it on the podcast. And oh, it's delicious! Today's podcast begins now. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. So, just a few days ago, uh, the review website Yelp stated that they were getting in the business of social justice by saying that it would uh, append a business accused of racist behavior alert to any businesses or business page where a company had been accused of accused of racism. That's Yelp. So now if your business is accused of racism, Yelp will make sure everyone knows it. Antifa now has started over the weekend compiling the names of businesses that it wants to submit to Yelp and put out of business. The list prepared by the same Antifa group that is responsible for organizing the violent protests and the riots in Portland is now compiling that list of non-friendly businesses, a.k.a. any company that is hanging blue lives quoting blue lives garbage in their store or anything else that is anti the blm movement so now we know black lives matter has been granted the power to shut down whatever business it doesn't like and remember this is the anti-fascist group this is exactly what the brown shirts did in germany if you didn't hang the swastika you came under attack Eventually, you were gone. We have a few weeks to prepare. And I do not want you to prepare. I do do encourage you to exercise the Second Amendment in self-defense. I do... uh, I do urge you to prepare yourself with food, uh, with fuel, with things that you and your neighbors might need if there are great disruptions, because they are coming. If you are ready for some really great news, keep listening. Built Bar is back, and it is unbelievable. If you've been listening to my show this year, I love Built Bars. 
Uh, it's an all-American story. This is a client I asked to be on the show because I didn't listen to my wife again. And she'd been telling me about it. But it has protein bar on it. And those always taste like a doormat. This is unbelievable. The mint brownie flavor? Oh, yes, baby. It is life-changing. The new bars taste better than ever. In addition to the 12 original flavors, Built Bar just added cookies and cream, carrot cake, caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, apple almond crisp. I mean, it's just, it's great. Built Bar, delicious, nutritious, high protein, low calorie, high fiber, low carbs, 100% real chocolate, and 100% really good. Plus, they've reset the code for this new launch right now go to builtbar.com use the promo code back get ten dollars off your first order promo code back builtbar.com this is the best of the glenn beck program so as you know or maybe you you don't know yelp is now uh, deciding that they are going to start highlighting any business that has been accused of racism and that great so thank you yelp we can certainly trust you now to get the truth this is the cancel culture that we're living in and if you don't toe the line you're in trouble our kids now are being taught critical race theory which means that you are inherently racist you owned a slave even if you didn't own a slave you wanted to own a slave I believe that all men are created equal. I believe that no one should be held accountable for what their ancestors did. But that's not what the left is doing. That is not what the the Democrats and Joe Biden uh, and Harris are campaigning on. And everyone is too comfortable in the Democratic Party with this cancel culture. The entire country is canceled now because of our history the founders should be canceled rip their statues down they ripped more statues down in portland over the weekend change the names of buildings and signs and don't get anybody started on mount rushmore this bleeds into your personal history redemption no longer means anything a pivot point life-changing a switch in thinking or behavior it counts for nothing with the left this means a tweet someone might have sent when they were a child is worth cancellation some major breaking news for you none of this seems to apply when it's one of their owns governor northam had a photo of him either in blackface or a clan outfit he's never been asked to uh, say which one he was why wasn't he canceled Jimmy Kimmel used to think blackface was hysterical. His Carl Malone segment was a staple of his show. Why wasn't he held accountable to the same standard they held for Megyn Kelly, who, by the way, wasn't in blackface, merely asked a question about people who dress in blackface to honor someone they admire. She was canceled. But Kimmel, who dressed in blackface in a segment after segment after segment after segment, making fun of a black man, he never took a hit. Joe Biden's another great example. Here's a man who worked with segregationists. Somehow or another, he's exempt of cancellation. His crime bill is the exact opposite of the what, what the left is now proposing. How many black Americans were sent to prison because of that law? Again, I ask, why is he exempt? 
How can Joe Biden look at black people in the face and tell them that they aren't really black if they don't vote for him? Would you be allowed to get away with that? Now, maybe Biden's immune from the left's cancer culture rage due to his strong family background. You know, the left went after Trump's family history and viciously knocked his roots. New York Times went after the family's business dealings, going back to his father. The media has gone after his children despite no criminal activity, which I can't say the same for Hunter Biden. And the attacks even include the president's youngest child, Barron. I, re- I remember John Oliver going after Trump's ancestral name, make Donald Trump Donald Trump again. That episode broke records in viewerships at HBO. Going back into a candidate or a political's ancestral tree is clearly important to the left. So I guess that's why Joe Biden is so insulated. You know, a lot of people have looked at Joe Biden's family tree, but they focus on his mother's side of the family. Good, hardworking Irish ancestry. Lunchbox Joe, who comes from a long line of blue-collar coal miners. But what about Biden's father's ancestral line? Why has nobody looked into that? I mean, wouldn't it be good to further build that blue-collar lunchbox Joe image? And Biden's very par- proud of that part of his family. You know his middle name, Biden or Robinette, Joseph Robinette Biden. Yeah, I've always looked at that and went, Robinette, what the hell is that kind of name? That's his father's line. He's very, very proud of the Robinette line in his ancestry. Hmm, Robinette. Well, if John Oliver and the rest of the mainstream media can go after Donald Trump's family and lineage, I guess the gloves come off. I've recently been given Joe Biden's family history from his father's side, and it comes to me from one of the finest and most respected genealogy firms in the country. Celebrities, elected officials have used this firm for years to reveal their family history. I'm not going to tell you the name of the of the uh, organization. I'm making the documents available, but I'm not going to p- print the uh, name of the organization for their own safety reasons. Now, why would that be? We have the full report. It's available now at glenbeck.com. And this kind of report is worth thousands of dollars to produce. It takes hundreds of man hours to research documents that go back to this case into the 1700s. It costs thousands of dollars. This report goes back six generations in uh, Joe Robinette Biden's family tree. Do we have the graphic here? If you're watching Blaze TV, you can see the chart. There it is of six generation of Biden's family, starting with generation one, the current candidate for president, Joe Robinette Biden, Jr. Generation two, Joe's father, Joe Robinette Biden, Sr., And on and on to Generation 6, starting in the 1700s, Jesse Robinette, who was born in Maryland in 1776. Wow, what a a great thing to have, huh? Now, here's where it gets dicey. Let me show you the next document. This is from the U.S. Federal Census in 1820. Ninth up from the bottom list as the head of the household, Jesse Robinette, as in Joe Robinette Biden. This is Joe Biden's great, great, great grandfather. Now, the left side of the forum is the count of Jesse's family. But the right side shows something else. 
how many did Joseph Biden at uh, Biden's family? How many slaves did they own? Well, Joe Biden's great, great, great grandfather owned 12 slaves in 1820, five male slaves ages 14 to 25, two male slaves ages 26 to 44, three female slaves ages zero to 13, one female slave aged 14 to 25 and one female slave aged 45 plus. Now, according to this report, again, from a very respected genealogy firm that is trusted by both famous celebrities and politicians, Joe Biden's ancestors were slave owners. Now, with that little chunk of information, it kind of puts Joe's work with segregationists in a whole different context now, doesn't it? It adds a little more weight when Joe tells black people that they aren't black unless they vote for him. I can almost hear the crack of the whip. It makes the remark that he made uh, just a few years ago. They're all they're going to put all of you back in chains a little more grotesque, seeing it was his family that put people in chains. It makes it all the more sickening when last week he said a black woman was stocking the shelves while he was safe in his basement. It's weird that nobody has ever really dug this far into Biden's father's side or family. Or did they and just not want this to get out? Now, after knowing this, and if you work at the altar of cancel culture and societal justice, can you still be calling for the destruction of statues and monuments and still vote for Joe Robinette Biden? After all, his family was there. And they own slaves, just like Thomas Jefferson, who must now be destroyed. Hmm. Can you still vote for Joe Biden? Can you do it? I'm just curious. I don't know. I don't make the rules. If you call the America of today an evil country based off its past, then what does that make Joe Biden? Me, I think Joe Biden is unfit to be president based off him, you know, being one of, if not the most corrupt politicians in history. I personally don't think the sins of his family tree mean anything at all to the man of today. But that's not how today's modern left operates now, is it? I mean, I'm just going by their rules. (laughs) If you go by their rules, Joe Biden should be canceled. And if that's not enough... Well, maybe then when they see the next document, it might convince them for good. If you're watching Blaze TV or if you go to glennbeck.com, you will see the second document along with all of the documents. Now, this might be one of the most heartbreaking letters I've ever seen. This is a probate document from the state of Maryland in 1832, and it shows the distribution of Joe Biden's great-great-grandfather's slaves to his surviving family. You see, (laughs) well, unlike George Washington, Joe Biden's great-great-great-grandfather, he didn't free the slaves upon the death of Jesse Robinette. Nope. Joe Robinette Biden's great-great-great-grandfather passed his slaves on after his death to the family. And remember, this is 1832. 
George Washington freed his slaves in the 1700s. This document cruelly and methodically explains how each member of the family would become the new master of Jesse's slaves. There's Dorcas Robinette, who was given a slave boy named Benjamin. His value? $450. She was also given a girl named Nancy, who was valued at $450 as well. A girl named Mary valued only at $235 and a boy named Nathan at $600. Now, Jano Davis and Alice, his wife, were given a boy named Bob. He was valued at $600. We don't know how old Bob was. Yaz Robinette, uh, Robinette was given a boy named Tom, valued at $600. George Robinette was given a boy named Charles, valued at $350. And a boy named Solomon, valued at $250. Well, we don't know. Maybe they were really old, or maybe they were mm, crippled and therefore really not worth that much as people. Moses J. Robinette was given a boy named Joshua, valued at $600. Eliza Ann Robinette was given a boy named Pedro, uh, Pero, valued at $300, and a girl named Lynn, valued at $200. This news is all available right now with all of the documentations at glenbeck.com. Again, we've left the name of the company that did all of this work. We've left it off for their safety. But, boy, that would have to be from the right, and that wouldn't make sense. Why would the right be violent over something like this? You would think the right would like it. Because <laughs> we know the left isn't violent. We know if the left... Uh, finds out that Joe Robinette Biden's ancestors all owned slaves and then passed them on generation after generation, <laughs> almost until the time of the Civil War where they were forced to get rid of their slaves. Wow, that is weird, isn't it? I told you you would enjoy it. You and I both don't think this has anything to do with who Joe Biden is today. But it's going to be fun watching how this information never sees the light of day. Except for when you retweet it. When you go to glenbeck.com and get the information and you put it on your Facebook, you put it on your Instagram, you put it on, you put it on Twitter. It'll be interesting to see if it trends. Hashtag Biden slave owners. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. So the senators, it's it's two hours and 15 minutes and, sh and Amy Coney Barrett has not had an opportunity to speak. It is just the blathering on by these politicians. Some of them have been good. I think Ben Sass was really good. And I wanted to play the rest of Ben Sass uh, and his opening statement because he was trying to teach the he said eighth graders. But 
what he was really trying to teach were the Democrats um, who are saying this is unconstitutional uh, and we need to know exactly where she stands on every issue. No, this is a strict constructionalist. This is somebody who doesn't believe that she can legislate from the ba- from the bench. The federal court should never be a legislative body. What they do is interpret the Constitution based on what it actually says. Not reading in any kind of new stuff, but read what does the Constitution say. That's what she does. And that cuts both ways. Sometimes I will strongly disagree with a ruling because I wanted the other, but I agree with the Constitution saying that. And you can't do it. Listen to what he said about this and especially watching eighth grade civics classes. So I'd like to um, distinguish first between civics and politics because there was a time, the chairman said at the beginning of this hearing, uh, there was a time when people that would be as different as Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and she was a heroic woman, that's absolutely true, and Antonin Scalia, another brilliant mind and, and your mentor, people that different could both go through the Senate and get confirmation votes of 95 or 98 votes. And the chairman said at the beginning of the hearing, he doesn't know what happened between then and now, I think some of what happened between then and now um, is we decided to forget what civics are and allow politics to swallow everything. So if I can start, I'd like to just remind us of the distinction between civics and politics. Um, Civics is the stuff we're all supposed to agree on regardless of our policy views differences. Um, Civics is another way we talk about the rules of the road. Civics 101 is the stuff like Congress writes laws. The executive branch enforces laws. Courts apply them. None of that stuff should be different if you're a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian or a Green Party member. This is basic civics. Civics is the stuff that all Americans should agree on, like religious liberty is essential. People should be able to fire the folks who write the laws, and we can't, the voters can't fire the judges. Judges should be impartial. This is just civics 101. Politics is different. Politics is the stuff that happens underneath civics. Civics is the overarching stuff we as Americans agree in in common. Politics is the subordinate, less important stuff that we differ about. Politics is like if I look at my friend Chris Coons and I say, listen up, Jack Wagon, what you want to do on this particular finance committee bill is going to be way too expensive and might bankrupt our kids. Or if Chris looks back at me and says, listen up, Jack Wagon, you're too much of a, a cheapskate and you're underinvesting in the next generation. That's a really important debate. That's a political debate. That's not civics. Civics is more important than that. Civics doesn't change every 18 to 24 months uh, because the electoral wins change because polling changes. I think it's important that we help our kids understand that politics is the legitimate stuff we fight about and civics is the places where we pull back and say, wait a minute, we have things that are in common and before we fight again about politics, let's reaffirm some of our civics. So I'd like to have just sort of a basic grammar of civics for five minutes. One thing that we should all agree on and two things that we should all disagree with. We should agree on it, but one thing that we agree about and are in favor of and two things that we agree on that we should all reject. First, 
first, a positive, grand, unifying truth about America, and that is religious liberty. Religious liberty is the basic idea that how you worship is none of the government's business. Government can rage, wage wars, government can write parking tickets, but government cannot save souls. Government's really important. War is important, parking tickets are, are important, but your soul is something that the government can't touch. So whether you worship in a mosque or a synagogue or a church, your faith or your lack of faith is none of the government's business. It's your business and your families and your neighbors and all sorts of places where people break bread together and argue, but it's not about power, it's not about force, it's not about the government. This is the fundamental American belief. Religious liberty is one of those five great freedoms clustered in the First Amendment. Religion, speech, press, assembly, and protest. These five freedoms that hang together that are the basic pre-governmental rights are sort of civics 101 that we all agree on well before we ever get to anything as relatively inconsequential as tax policy. All right, so there's a confusion being introduced. Again, the author of All Chaos uh, would like America to be confused now on what packing the courts mean. The left is now saying that what the president is doing even now is packing the court. Um, no, he's not. Packing the court means something entirely different. Here's Ben Sass on that. When they want to try to change the outcome of what courts do in the future by trying to change the size and competition, composition of the court, that is a bad idea that politicizes the judiciary and reduces public trust. On the other hand, depoliticizing the court looks a lot like letting courts and judges do their jobs and the Congress do our jobs. You don't like the policies in America? Great, elect different people in the House and in the Senate and in the presidency. Fire the politicians at the next election. But voters don't have the freedom to fire the judges. Therefore, we should not view judges and we should not encourage judges or the public to view them as ultimately politicians who hide behind their robes. The antidote to judicial activism is originalism. Originalism, also known as textualism, is basically the old idea from eighth grade civics that judges don't get to make laws. Judges just apply them. An originalist comes to the court with a fundamental humility and modesty about what the job is that they're there to do. An originalist doesn't think of herself as a super legislator whose opinions will be read by angels from stone tablets in heaven. Judicial activism, on the other hand, is the bad idea that judges' black robes are just fake, and truthfully, they're wearing red or blue partisan jerseys under there. We should reject all such judges. And so today, when we have a nominee before us, we should be asking her questions that are not about trying to predetermine how certain cases will be judged. And a final term that we should be clear about, I mentioned earlier, but I think it's worth underscoring, is we should underscore what is court packing. Court packing is the idea that we should blow up our shared civics, that we should end the deliberative structure of the Senate by making it just another majoritarian body for the purposes of packing the Supreme Court. Court packing would depend on the destruction of the full debate here in the Senate, and it is a partisan suicide bombing that would end the deliberative structure of the United States Senate and make this job less interesting for all 100 of us. Not for 47 or 53, because it's hard to get to a supermajority that tries to protect the American people from 51, 49, 49, 51 swings all the time. 
What blowing up the filibuster would ultimately do is try to turn the Supreme Court into the ultimate super legislature. Court packing is not judicial reform, as some of you who wrote the memo over the weekend got a lot of media to bite on. Court packing is destroying the system we have now. It is not reforming the system we have now. And anybody who uses that langu the language that implies filling legitimate vacancies is actually just another form of court packing that's playing the American people for fools. And the American people actually want a Washington, D.C. that depoliticizes more decisions, not politicizes more decisions. So, Judge, I'm glad that you're before us. I'm looking forward to hearing your opening statement uh, later today. And okay, I look so that's to Ben Sass uh, trying to give a lesson on civics and what the Supreme Court is. If Biden packs the court, there's a great story in the uh, Federalist, a, a great opinion piece uh, that talks about what is what's up. If they pack the court, meaning when Biden, if he gets in, uh, he goes from nine judges to 12 judges and they just appoint more judges, gun rights, the Supreme Court and gun rights, your gun rights will be gone. Now, think of that. You may have been for gun rights when uh, or against gun rights when they said we have to have police officers in our schools. We can't have people with guns in our schools. We can't have teachers with guns. We have to have police officers. Well, now they're saying no police officers. In fact, the union, the school teachers union in California, one of their conditions on coming back after covid is no police officers in school. So which is it going to be? Who's going to protect you if our gun rights are gone? Hmm? In my opinion, you can't have it both ways. Gee, I want to get rid of the police and no right to a gun. If they pack the court, which they will if Joe Biden wins, your gun rights will be gone. Freedom of speech the most obvious change to free speech laws, says the Federalists, would come with a progressive majority on the Supreme Court. It would be overturning the 2010 5-4 Citizens United decision. In that decision, the conservative justice found, in keeping with precedent, that corporations or people pooling their resources do in fact have a right to political speech. A potential reversal of that decision would open the door to a huge array of efforts by the government to restrict the speech of citizens who unite to make it. Now, we're not talking about unions. We're talking about other citizens. More broadly, speech laws such as those that exist in New York City requiring people to use preferred pronouns, even if they don't believe that gender is uh, real, would find a much kinder hearing in the new court. Public schools and colleges will also suffer far greater restrictions than currently exist on what kind of political and cultural speech may be allowed. I will tell you that our the generation that is coming in now believes in violence violence is okay to stop certain kinds of speech that should uh, be a real warning and that free speech is not absolute that was not the way it was viewed by all other generations of americans including our founders this is dangerous and we lose the essence of who america is if you lose freedom of speech and the second amendment they keep talking about abortion will be one of the things that changes, but I don't think that that's going to happen. But it, it will always be if they pack the court. Religious liberty, look at how it's being curtailed now. Imagine a packed court. 
And one of the big things the Federalist uh, says is going to change is election laws. You're going to have statehood for the District of Columbia, Puerto Rico. People will vote who are in the country illegally. All of these things. And of course, the Electoral College.